in college, uh, one summer I worked at Acadian Baptist Center, which is a camp owned by a Baptist Association down in South Louisiana. I grew up in South Louisiana. So uh, we were all doing our work. Uh, Chief White Cloud, that's what we call the camp director. He was the camp manager, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Backus, Joe Backus. And uh, always told us, don't go uh, killing snakes because some of them are good snakes. And so, okay. <laughs> So <laughs> me and Skeet, Skeet was the oldest one of us on the on the staff that summer. He was a seminary student from New Orleans. And so uh, he and I were out doing the mowing. And so we we're out behind the main building, one of the main buildings. It's kind of an area between the building and the big cornfields that they had out there. And so he's on the ride mower. I'm doing the push mower, mowing around everything. And, and I see him stop and he jumps off the riding mower and he's yelling, snake, snake. <laughs> and so I said, where? And it slithered over against the building. And I don't know what I was thinking. I just grabbed a mop handle right there and I pinned it down and I reached down and grabbed it behind the neck, behind the head. And I start walking across the campus to find out if this is a good snake. About halfway, I'm going across, I'm going, what the heck am I doing here? And it's it's all, it was about three and a half, four feet. It was wrapped all around my arm. And so we get over to near the cafeteria and Mr. Joe comes running out. He said, what you got? What you got? I said, you tell me. He said, oh, that's a good one. He said, that's a corn snake. We need to keep that one. It'll eat the rodents, you know, all that stuff. And I'm thinking, how am I going to let this thing go without it snapping yeah. back at me? Yeah. So I managed to do that, Get <laughs> went back out to the field. But I I never thought I'd ever pick up a snake. Yeah. I never will now. So it just wasn't even a thought. <laughs> wasn't even a thought. Not a thought. I just oh, pinned no, it down, you. reached down and grabbed it and. Of course, Skeet thought I was a nut anyway, uh, and he was really the nut. I thought he would pick it up, but anyway. So we, so that's one of the dumbest things I've ever done: pick up a, a corn snake, not knowing what it was. See, now I'd pin him down and immediately go to the head with the shovel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what I thought the story was going to go, and that's then where but, it should go. But we were told, "Don't kill the snakes." Right. Right. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. But you know, it's not going to hurt you, bro. <laughs> and, I really, and I really don't. Snakes don't bother me that much. They really don't. Uh, now, spiders, roaches, those kinds of things. Uh-uh. So I got on a snake identification Facebook page a few years ago. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and it's actually very interesting. It actually will. I mean, if you if you look at it long enough and look at those things, you start to realize. I mean, the things you see in your backyard is like, yeah, that's just a rat snake. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really mm. pretty cool. But uh, well, growing up in South Louisiana, you come across all kinds of oh, snakes, yeah. all kinds. That's but awesome. Anyway, so that's oh. my funny story. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So. Welcome to the Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Testament. My name is Jeff Keck. And I'm Jess Kirchmeyer, and we're here today with David Jenkins. Hi, David. Hello. Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm David Jenkins, and uh, I am on staff at Lake Arlington Baptist Church, or I should say Lake Church. (laughs) It was Lake Arlington Baptist Church when I came here, and uh, that was over 40 years ago. Nice. And so uh, 
I have, I moved here uh, in 79 after college, about six months after college, and uh, started looking for a church home. I had actually joined a church in Fort Worth and was going there for a few weeks. And then um, a friend that I was working with, I was working at a warehouse over near Six Flags, and he invited me here. And so that's how I found this church. And uh, about a year later, uh, met my wife. Didn't know she was going to be my wife, mm -hmm. but uh, LaRue introduced me uh, to Phyllis. And we were on a mission trip. And I was helping Ed. We took a group of students over to Española, New Mexico. And on the way back, Phyllis, I mean, uh, LaRue says, well, have you been dating anybody? I said, no, nah, I've just kind of, you know, I've been trying to get settled here and not get to know, you know, just haven't had time to really get to know anybody, but just kind of getting settled in classes and work and schedule and all that. She says, well, I got, I know somebody you might want to, might want to ask out. I went, okay. <laughs> and she said, uh, her name's Phyllis Shelley. I said, okay. I don't know that I know her. Well, she's with us on this trip. <laughs> and I said, oh, I thought I already knew all the adult sponsors. Oh, she, she's not one of the adults. Okay. <laughs> You're going to get me arrested. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and so Phyllis had just graduated from Bowie, the original Bowie High School here <laughs> in Arlington. And I was, what, 24, 25 and was in seminary. And uh, so we dated, you know, for two years. I finished seminary in May of uh, 82, and we were married in November 82. Hmm. But we met here and been here. Our boys grew up here. We were very, we've been very fortunate, very blessed that we haven't had to move around from church to church. Hmm. Uh, if you had mentioned 40 years ago, uh, came to me and said, you're going to be here for 40 years, I'd have laughed in your face because hmm. yeah. <laughs> you're a false prophet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. That's that's where we've been, been here and love serving here, love the people, lots of relationships, mm. lots of relationships. So yeah. That's kind of who I am. Good. Know. Good. So the point of this whole show is to share our salvation testimony in Jesus. So if you give us an opportunity to know how you came to know who yeah. Jesus was uh, or is, and mm -hmm. then tell us how, how God has kind of led you um, since then in your in your life. Okay. Uh, I, like I said, I grew up in Southeast Louisiana and my mom and dad, uh, made sure me and my sister, we, we went to church and we would come to know the Lord. And in fact, the church was in such, it was so new. It was a mission church. And my mom and dad were the first couple ever married in, in this church. Mm. So that's kind of how deep our roots were there. Um, but I had grown up going to Sunday school, uh, kids choir, you know, vacation Bible school, everything. And it was uh, during a revival service. It was Friday night uh, of the revival. And uh, I was in the kids' choir that night. I was nine years old. And so we sat up in the choir loft the whole time to the whole service. Of course, none of us dared to do anything because our moms and dads were out there <laughs> watching us eyeball, you know, eyeballing us. But um, as the invitation was being given, um, our pastor was standing down front. The evangelist was speaking. And... It was in my mind uh, and in my spirit, uh, of course, I wouldn't have used the word spirit back then, but in my <laughs> mind and my spirit, um, it was, I've never come to know Jesus. I've heard about him, heard all the Bible stories, could tell you all the Bible stories. Um, but it was at that time that I realized 
I I need to ask Christ into my life. And because, yeah, I've I've done a lot of bad things in my, you know, as a kid. Yeah. I knew I, I, knew I had sin uh, as best as I understood. Went to my pastor, told him I wanted to receive Christ and then prayed with me. And then Saturday morning, he came over and visit with me and my mom and my dad. My dad was probably outside working in the shop. I was, it was me and my mom. And then uh, Sunday night, I was, I was baptized. Mm. And so that's when my, my life with Christ began. Now, and then shortly after that comes junior high and high school. And the whole idea of discipleship, the word discipleship was never used mm. by that, during that time. When I was yeah. growing up, you never heard the word discipleship in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and it really wasn't until college, kind of midway through college, someone began to introduce, introduce me to what discipleship was about. Mm. Um, through junior high and high school, of course, I'm, I'm the kid who's trying to, I'm one of those kids that's trying to be pleasing to everybody, right? Mm. Um, my... I've I just began to learn about these things about myself in the last 10, 10 years or so uh, after certain books that I was reading that uh, my dad, living with my dad was hard. Uh, he had uh, he had a hard time growing up. It was kind of like uh, he didn't get to be a kid. Yeah. He grew up in the country. Um, and my my grandmother evidently was a hard woman. And so that was how my dad thought he should raise his kids. Mm. But it was me, not my sister. And so there were there were some hard uh, moments between me and him growing up. Um, if, if someone had reported what they saw about me as a kid, they would have contacted, you know, CPS. Yeah. Uh, but back then, nobody... Right. Thought about that. They just said, oh, that's just way dads mm-hmm. raise their kids. So my dad was hard. Yeah. And then um, in junior high, there was a uh, an event that took place that impacted my life. Um, it was an event that um, I, uh, I can probably look back and say that was the first time I ever experienced shame. Mm. Didn't know that. Didn't understand that. Uh, and so I just went on with life, not knowing about how those things, how the enemy was going to use those things to kind of shape me. Right. And so all through high school, um, you know, I kind of went with the crowd about doing things I shouldn't do. Um, one of my closest friends in high school was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And uh, but fortunately, no thanks to me, really. Uh, he eventually did become a believer after mm-hmm. we both graduated from high school. Uh, and he died young. He, because of his drug use and his diabetes, uh, he he died young, really. <clears throat> so I go on through college, and I'm trying to determine who I'm supposed to be. And uh, I was not the kind of kid my dad was. Uh, my dad was a man who could build anything with his hands. Uh, he he built uh, engines uh, for stock car racers and. Mm-hmm. Uh, always re- did repair work on my, my friend's cars mm-hmm. in school. Um, he was just very talented, you know, with his hands. 
Uh, I was not. I was I was talented in the other way. I was the music and the art kid. Hmm. And so I played piano, trumpet, French horn in high school and band and uh, was a music major to begin with. So I'm still trying to find myself and then got very disillusioned about some things and uh, really just kind of felt like I was just drifting even further from God. And then a friend or two uh, just began to spend time with me and encourage me. And I ended up uh, going to First Baptist back home and they had a college Sunday school group. I didn't even know college Sunday school even existed. Hmm. And the two men that taught the class, one was David Grace. He was uh, he was a mailman. He delivered mail in Baton Rouge area. And then the other gentleman was uh, Dr. Bobby Leach, who was a dentist. And uh, both of those men spoke into my life. And Bobby actually took me and another friend, Tony, uh, who is also a pastor now today. He took the two of us under his wing just for a short time. Uh, and we went through a study together. Mm. And that was my first taste of discipleship where someone spends time with you, invests in you, encourages you, and prays with you and prays over you. Um, so that began to turn my life uh, around and then um, got very much involved uh, in music ministry uh, in our church. Uh, I was leading a an ensemble group. And then before I graduated college, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was a music pastor at a small church, First Baptist Church, Livingston, Louisiana, uh, and was there for a year, um, made friends there. Uh, one of the guys I got to be, got to be friends with, his name was Lamar. He was, uh, he played basketball for Southeastern University where I graduated from. And so, me having not an athletic bone in my body, he said, "Let's go, let's go shoot some hoops after after church you know, <laughs> on Sunday nights." I'm going, "Well, you're gonna have to teach me, bud." <laughs> and uh, so we kind of had a little thing going where I would spend time teaching him scripture, teaching him the Bible. He would spend time teaching me a little That's bit about fun. basketball. So, and then I moved here uh, not long after that, and um, being at this church is where. I began to learn more about discipleship because uh, our pastor then, uh, Dr. David George and Ed and Jim Ferguson, those were the three on staff at the time. Uh, I was, they started asking me to be an intern. And so I worked with them. And then there was a ministry, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, Billy, I can't remember his last name, but he had a ministry that was a discipleship training ministry hmm. and so uh they introduced it into our church and so i had a gentleman start working you know meeting with me and then i had a youth uh, one of our high school students that i was meeting with and uh his name is steve tucker and steve tucker will tell you you know david jenkins was the first one who started discipling me you know <laughs> he lives over in mckinney that's cool but discipleship is where i, I learned i began to learn that here and then working under Ed Lamance, Dr. Lamance, for 40 years, him being my mentor, he wasn't that kind of a disciple leader where he would sit down with me one-on-one -on -one every week. It was just kind of, we did life together. We did yeah. youth ministry together mm -hmm. for 20 something years. And um, so that's that's where I began to, to grow as a disciple. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I was 
junior high minister for for 10 years and then for the next 15 years after that i was the head youth pastor and i had seven different associates that worked with me uh, through those years every one of them were top notch and uh, all of them are very much involved in ministry today and in other places um but i had uh one of our uh larry tardy he was our music pastor at the time he was moving on to another ministry and before he left he gave me a book uh i'd never heard of the gentleman never heard of, i'd kind of heard something about the book the book was ragamuffin gospel <laughs> and brennan manning was the author and as i i'm a slow reader it takes me a long time uh to finish a book but it was one of those when i sat down and started reading it I couldn't put it down because mm. I was seeing a picture of God's grace that I'd never seen before. And he's one of those, he's what I refer to as a defunct Catholic priest. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you just have to read the book and read his story. But that began to change my image of God. And that's one of the things he talks about. He says, we, we need to heal our image of God, mm. not God's image, but our image of how we see God. Yeah. And that began a new journey for me. And and Eric and I had talked about that. Eric, our, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, and he said, uh, if you like Manning, you might like this book. And he gave me um, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, and that was another book. I have a, a stack of books. I say, these are books that have impacted and changed my life. Mm. And those are top two i'll right take there. a picture of that later i'll, I'll, get, yeah. I'll get that list <laughs> yeah yeah well it's funny uh, katrina our rec pastor she yeah. texted me j just about 15 minutes before i walked in here she says hey can you make recommendations on uh books or authors about yeah. being with god i went huh well just happens to me <laughs> and uh, so i sent her that list that's awesome um but yeah and so i began wanting to know what it means to be still with god because yeah. that's Scazzaro's main point. Uh, you read you read this book, you 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 hear the story and see. Here was a very successful pastor started a church plant in Queens, New York, blowing and going. And one day his wife comes up and says, uh, "I'm not coming to your church anymore. Your leadership stinks." You know? oh. <laughs> and uh, and of course that began their journey yeah. of of healing and learning what it means uh, to walk with Christ. And so uh, it really teaches the, the value uh, of silence and solitude, uh, of what it means to abide in Christ. Um, I think he's the one I read that says, uh, of all the Ten Commandments, um, be still is the, is the least, is, is the most ignored, mm -hmm. is the most ignored yeah. about being with him. And so... That's been my journey for about the past 10 or 12 years is learning what that means. Um, it is still the hardest thing I do. Yeah. Um, I had a seminary professor, Dr. T.W. Hunt, and well-known in Baptist circles. Uh, he was a music professor at Southwestern, but he really was well-known for his teachings and writings on prayer. And so he wrote one of the books, uh, The Mind of Christ, and then he wrote the the the, the doctrinal book for Southern Baptist Convention on prayer. Hmm. So it's been years since I've been out of seminary. We were on our way to Colorado. We stopped at Glorieta, New Mexico to spend the night. 
and um, just to kind of stay there for a while. We hadn't been there uh, in years. And so I pulled out the list of all the different classes and seminars that they had going on the next day. Well, there was Dr. Hunt, <laughs> 7 a.m. teaching on prayer. And I said, OK, I'm there. <laughs> so got there and uh, really enjoyed it. And then afterwards, I hung around and until I could come back up and reintroduce myself to him because I had him for a class. And he was a, really a mentor for one of our music pastors uh, back in the 80s. And so we reintroduced myself and uh, he said, oh, good to meet you again, you know. And I said, well, I got a question for you. I said, you have written uh, some amazing books on prayer. But uh, my question is, what, what really made it click for you? What was the turning point where you could learn to sit and be with God and listen with God? And by this time, he was already in his 80s. And he just looked at me and he kind of took a long breath and sigh. He goes, <sighs> he says, prayer is the hardest thing I do. Hmm. And I thought to myself, if it's hard for you, it's going to be impossible for me. <laughs> but it's, it's the same thing. What I've been learning about uh, being with God, uh, it is the hardest thing I've been learning to do. Um, so that's kind of where my journey has been yeah. for a while. Um, so, yeah. And so, so you've been <clears throat> at Lake Church, you said for over 40 years, have you been in the same position or what positions have you held and what's God done in your time in that? Like what's God done through? I know it's a lot of no. years to summarize. I'm sure there's a thousand no, stories. But. He's been able to dodge everything for 41 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was, I was intern for the first year or so, mm -hmm. just helping Ed do whatever with youth ministry. And then they asked me to be the junior high pastor. Yeah. So for 10 years, I was junior high pastor, loved it. And then Ed was changing hats. Uh, he was taking a different position here at staff. And uh, the pastor, Dr. George, he asked me, he said, would you consider being the youth pastor? And so I prayed a couple of days and I came back to him and knowing the kind of person he is, you know, he kind of likes to have his thumb on everything. You know? <laughs> I said, I would love to be the youth pastor. I really think God would, wants me to take this opportunity to do this. I said, if you will let me be the youth pastor. He said, I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't think you could do it. Mm. I said, well, I appreciate that. So so for the next 15 years, I was youth pastor. Mm. Um, loved everything about youth ministry. Loved the students. Loved, I never had any problems finding workers, yeah. people who would work and teach youth. You just have adults who are just drawn, that just love to invest in, in teenagers. And so had, again, like I said, had some great uh, associates. Um, again, some of them are on staff at other churches now. <clears throat> and then, um, oh, around 2000, it was 2003. That was a hard year because we had different staff that year who were being called to other places. Mm. And we had been working together for quite a while already. Mm. So that That's was kind hard, of a yeah. sad time a little bit. And then in November of 2003, I had uh, over a period of like eight years, I had two different groups of high school guys that I was in leading a discipleship group with from their ninth through 12th grade year. First group did that. And this was my second group. And one of my students who was a senior, we were on in my in my living room. He sat on the couch right there next to me. 
and then um, went on with our discussion, our prayer time. And that next next day in the afternoon, he committed suicide mm -hmm. and just blew me away. And of course, the guys in the group, what did we do wrong? And I said, we didn't do anything wrong. I said, he, he just didn't give us any clues. And uh, I, that day uh, when it happened, I was at his house with his mom because she knew something was wrong. We didn't know where he was. Uh, I called the resource officer at Martin High School, um, called Harold Elliott, who was police chaplain at that time for Arlington Police Department. And uh, he called me, he said, David, tell me who you're looking for. And I told him. And uh, he said, well, I'm sorry to say he's he's dead. Mm. And he, ex he explained what happened. And I said, I'll uh, I'll be here when you come to the house. He said, you need to go ahead and tell her. Mm. I'd never had to tell a parent that. Yeah. And so as I'm on the phone, her husband drives up and it was student's stepdad and so he saw me on the phone he says what's wrong and i explained to him so we both went in mm. and shared with her with everything that happened that year and that and and uh his suicide we, we did his funeral um i i felt like i need to step away and find what it is god is trying to tell me and so uh wrote a request to the pastor and to our personnel team uh, and explained at that time they were they offered us staff that felt like they needed to to take a sabbatical which was a four week sabbatical I took that and um, added a, a week's vacation to it make it five weeks and uh, had a syllabus of things I was going to read what I was going to do where I was going to be and all that and so uh, at the end of that time, I came back and I wrote, uh, wrote to the personnel team and to the pastor, here's the thing, the two things uh, I felt like God was saying to me. <laughs> and the first thing was very clear, clear as a bell. He said, David, you don't know how to be still with me. Mm. And that was really when that thought, that idea of being still with God uh, hit me. And then a couple of years later is when uh, Larry gave me the book, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel, and then Eric gave me Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The second thing I told him was God told me I need to learn to lead the way he's created me to lead, mm. not like somebody else. Mm. And so many people, you know, I mean, we went to all the, uh, oh, John, the big leadership speaker. What's his name? John. John Piper. John. No, um, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Now. Anyway, we would go to his conferences on leadership and all that. And, and me, I never think of myself as being a being a leader out there, being up front. You know, I'm not that kind of a aggressive kind of leader. Yeah. And so, um, and I kept hearing all this. Be, everybody's supposed to be a leader. Be a leader. Be a leader. So, if everybody's a leader, who's supposed to be following? Mm -hmm. And so. Um, I, I've always felt like I'm at, when it comes to leadership, I, I kind of take the back seat, uh, not to be a backseat driver, yeah. but just so that when I'm asked to do something, I'm, I'm not doing it because everybody else is doing it, 
but I'm doing it because God has put me in this position to serve in this way or that, or that, in that fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, but another part of the, of, of learning to grow, continuing to grow, even at my age is I was learning that, um, much of what I was doing in my, my ministry, I was doing it so that people would approve of me. And that's another part of what emotionally healthy spirituality is about. Because uh, uh, I guess the mantra or the main theme, he says, you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature as an adult. Mm. And so walking through EHS, and I've, I've led about four groups, five groups now. I have a group of young adults that are going through it now, folks that are in their 20s, and they are just eating it up. Yeah. Because I've told I've told them and I tell everybody, I wish somebody had walked through this with me when I was in college because it would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of headache uh, learning how to be who I am and how God used the, the negative things that happened in my life as a kid. Uh, my dad, you know, whipping up on me and uh, bruising me and all that kind of stuff. And then having the event that took place. Uh, in my life as a junior high kid and mm -hmm. realizing the enemy was just really putting me in bondage for a lot of years. And my way out of that bondage was to perform well, yeah. to perform well for everybody else, make sure my pastor was happy, make sure the parents are happy, make sure the teenagers are happy, make sure whoever I'm helping give leadership to, make sure everybody's pleased. And of course, we all know you can't please everybody, obviously, right? right? And so... Um, one of the things that Scazzaro has the, the reader do is chapter three and chapter four of the book is where people begin to kind of fade out of the group mm. because it's, it's hard. Yeah. And that chapter three is going back in order to go forward. And he has you do kind of like your family tree. You write that out and you identify what were the, how did they deal with conflict? How did they... <laughs> What was their work ethic and those kinds of things? You look at those kinds of things. And I looked at the relationship between my, my grandmother and my dad, and it was always tense. Now, my grandmother loved her, right? She was a grandma. She'd do right. anything for you. Uh, made the best sweet tea in the world, right? <laughs> but I began to see things. Uh, as I got older. And then one day my dad said something about my grandmother that just blew me out of the water. And I'm going, dad, I'm sorry that that happened. And uh, didn't know what to do with that. And so um, learning and seeing the relationship they had, my relationship with my dad kind of mirrored the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I've learned to forgive yeah. And to let go. You can't forget, but you learn to forgive and let go. And Ed Lamance helped me with that too. He's got he's got this process he calls flushing. Mm -hmm. And um, before he really started teaching it to everybody, he kind of shared that with me and kind of gave me the instruction guide. And I went one day, uh, I was at home, my wife was at school, and uh for about four hours, I sat there and walked through that process as if my dad is sitting there and I'm chewing my dad out. <laughs> I'm, and it's feeling good for a minute. And uh, and then finally, um, I said, I forgive you, Dad. Mm -hmm. And God heard that. And my relationship, my attitude and my mindset 
in my heart towards my dad changed. Mm-hmm. Not immediately, but later on. Uh, my dad never never was much of a hugger. I can remember one time as a kid, I might have been four or five years old. He's in his recliner. I'm in his lap. We're watching the black and white TV, right? <laughs> and he's reclined back, and I'm leaning against my dad's chest, mm-hmm. and he's holding me. And that is the only time I can remember feeling love and acceptance from my dad. Now, he would try later on. And as a result of that, um, I I appreciate hugs. Yeah. You know? And um, I like to give hugs. I like to receive hugs. And somebody uh, was talking about when they get to heaven and what they what they want to want to see, what they hope to see and all that. I said, I don't care if I see anything. I don't care if I hear anything. The only thing I hope and want is to feel Jesus just hug me and embrace me. Yeah. That's it. Uh, he doesn't have to say a word to me. And so um, I hug my boys. I got a 35-year-old and 33-year-old. And... uh and the whole time they were growing up, I was praying Luke, Luke 2.52. Uh, Lord, uh, help them to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Yeah. And he has done that. He's been answering that prayer. And so every time I see him, I give him a hug. And we and it's not just a not just a shoulder, reach around the shoulder hug. I mean, we we hug and uh hold on for a second or two there. So um so I've been learning how to be myself uh, and not be afraid uh, to express how God has designed me and created me. Um, still a lot more to learn. Yeah. And um, so I've, you know, I have, um, here, here's another thing that I've been coming back to. You know, we always talk about doing for Jesus, doing for God. And, uh, I think one of the one of the questions uh, that that was presented to me is, what do you what do you say for people who are busy doing and just kind of feel like they're a little empty? And what I come to come to understand in Scazzaro and also John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland who has written a book, um, "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." It's a great book, but the doing, is is it doing for Jesus or is it doing with Jesus? Hmm. There's a difference. Yeah. And so we can do for Jesus constantly, 24-7, and still end up empty. Yeah. Because we're trying to do it. We're trying to earn that salvation or we're trying to earn everyone's approval, earn everyone's acceptance until the point that we just get burned out. But when we're learning to be with him first, however that looks for you and, you know, it looks one way for me, it may look another way for you. But the more I'm with him, <laughs> the more I want to do with him, not for him. John 15, 5, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, in other words, or if we're doing this together, you'll bear much fruit. 
because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I can tell when when certain periods of my life are, are feeling like I'm just I'm just doing things. Yeah. And does it really matter? I mean, even some, some, there are some Sunday mornings I come and I'm going, is what I'm going to do today really matter? If I'm doing, if I think I'm doing it for somebody else, yes, it's not going to matter. <laughs> it's not going to matter to most folks. But if I'm doing it because I'm walking with Jesus, and He's saying, "There's people going, we're going to be passing in the hallway today that just need a word of encouragement. They just need someone to stop and talk to them and say hi. Um, there's somebody you're going to need to stop and pray with because they're really discouraged. Then it matters." Because I'm learning to be with him so I can do with him, uh, not for him. Hmm. Like so that. do you think that sometimes that believers can get caught up in serving others so much that they fail to recognize what God has called them for? You know what I'm saying? So uh, <clears throat> in, in the readings that you have mentioned earlier, I know that you had told us on some of our preliminary questions also, but based on those readings, can you tell us what you've learned about being who God has created us to be versus pretending to be someone in order to please others. Mm -hmm. um, we are so performance oriented as mm -hmm. a society. And I think God is not in a hurry. He is not in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Jesus was, uh, you know, Jesus walked. Over. I know that was in that time period. They walked everywhere, right? <laughs> if they were lucky, they were able to ride a donkey or, yeah. or a cart or something. But as he just kind of went along, he reached people, he touched people, he spoke to people, he healed people, he encouraged people. And the disciples are walking alongside him, just kind of taking all this in. And I think it's the same thing for us. I, I can... I can do everything like my lead pastor. I can I can please him and try and do it the way he does it. But if I know Eric, that's not what he wants. Right. Same goal, but we do it how God created each of us to do it, and with the with the people that we associate with. I don't run in the same circles that Eric runs in. Um, I don't run in the same circles that TJ runs in. Um, mine, mine are usually older adults, senior adults. And one thing that God has helped me to learn is being, being me means I get to do things that other people don't get to do. Now, this, this is hard for some people. But for me to sit at the bedside week after week, with someone who was dying from terminal illness and just maybe reading scripture to them and praying with them, I consider that getting to walk them to the gates of heaven. Hmm. And, uh, and some people would be very uncomfortable with that. Uh, and when people ask me to do a funeral, I consider that a privilege. I mean, John 14, one through six, that's one of my standard passages I, I go to about a funeral, regarding a funeral, because I got to see that person be taken by Jesus 
to heaven. Because one of the things Jesus says in that passage is, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and when it's done, when it's ready, I'll come back and take you to be there with me. Mm -hmm. And part of discovering who, who God has created me to be and designed me to be is learning to step in those places I may be uncomfortable mm -hmm. so that I can experience what his spirit is trying to teach me and use me to do. Um, just going and doing everything because somebody says, hey, we need somebody to do this, we need somebody to do that. And um, we, for example, we had a, uh, a new partner class yesterday, uh, folks who are wanting to join our church and we go and explain what that's about, what that looks like and how one of the things we know the Bible to say is if you're part of the body of Christ, you help serve somehow, some way. <laughs> and we have a card that people can check off what they feel like they may be interested in, one or two of them. This guy checked all of them. <laughs> it was about 10. He checked them all. <laughs> and so I emailed him today. I said, hey, let's go back and just slow down a little bit and see how what the, what God wants you to do. What What things has he put on your heart? What's the number one or number two? And that just takes time of being still with God and learning to read about the heart of God. Um, a book that uh, actually Thomas, our college pastor, he came into my office one day and said, hey, have you seen this book? Well, it was Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. And I said, no, I haven't. And uh, he said, I'm ordering a whole case of them. They're, they're offering them for free. The publishers offer them for free if we'll, if we'll use them in groups and give them away. I said, okay, great. I never thought anything, anything else about it. And then a, a, about a month later, I get a package in the mail, a little padded envelope. I open it up. Well, it's this book, Gentle and Lowly, and it was a hardback copy. Uh, Thomas had a paperback. And in it was a card that it was mailed from Florida. I don't know anybody in Florida. <laughs> And the card made the statement, um, the person who sent it, if, if what is said in this book is true, and I believe it is, you are one of the best examples of, of this that I know. And I'm going, okay, so I guess I need to read the book, see what it's saying about. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it wasn't signed. It just had a scripture reference, Philippians 1, 3. And I was trying to, I was analyzing the handwriting yeah, yeah. and looking at the address, you know, that it came from. It was someplace in, on the coast of Florida. I still don't know who sent it. Yeah. Um, but God sent that book hmm. because it describes, Ortland says, the only scripture in the entire Bible where Jesus talks about his own heart is that Matthew 28 to 30 passage. Mm. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's an amazing book that, again, helps you to understand the grace and the depth of his love for us. No matter how many times I've screwed up and sinned. Um, it, it's, it's another one of those books where I have sat down to be with God. Because he he takes scriptures and describes what the scripture is saying like I've never heard before, hmm. and so it's it's one of those it's one of those I sent to Katrina. Yeah. <laughs> said, Here's one of the yeah. books you want to read. Okay, so in that advice giving of that book and other books, and 
if a believer's struggling with determining um, what God has designed them for, what they should be doing, where they should be going, mm-hmm. um, what's your advice? Number one, you've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to. I had to come to a point where I said, I'm done. I, I'm tired of performing. And, uh, and of course, Scazzaro and Manning helped me to see, helped me to see God in a different light. And that's what was drawing me. Learning to see Jesus as the scripture really describes him, not as all the evangelists. You know, I always kind of, I'm kind of critical about how some pastors uh, always think they're Paul. (laughs) And I'm going, everybody wants to be a Paul. Even Peter is second. When you look, you know, Peter only wrote how many? Yeah. You know, two books. And then I think about what about the, what about Ananias? No, not Ananias and Sapphira. You know, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to follow that. I don't want to be like them. <laughs> no. But the Ananias who was in Damascus after Paul was blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, who is this guy? He comes out of nowhere. And Luke tells us, God told Ananias, go find Paul. Here's where he's at. Heal him and baptize him. And of course, Ananias is going, Whoa, is this the Paul you were? Are you sure about this? And then we hear nothing else about Ananias. But yet, Ananias was just as important in the Bible as Paul. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people if you can make the time to be still with God, however that needs to look. Um, And read authors that have been doing this and can teach you what it means, what silence and solitude is about. Um, Henry Nouwen, I I wrote this down. He said, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Some people think silence and solitude is a vacation. That's not what it is. It's it's a wrestling of the soul. Hmm. It's, uh, I think, it's because they're refers to St. John. Uh, He's another church father who wrote about this that says um, he describes it as the dark night of the soul. When we come to those places in our life where we're thinking, where are you, God? And you just continue to hold on and finally you begin to hear him. And so now and Henry now said solitude is the furnace of transformation without solitude. We remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self without solitude. It is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously. If we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to him. Hmm. And that's, that's another hard thing is trying to learn to discern the voice of God among all the other voices and all the other noise. Which is funny because like, you know, when we talk about being still, we talk about people talk about praying or sitting and listening to the Lord, like we're, 
like so often you hear, well, that's just so hard and I just don't know how to do it. And I just, and I feel like, like what you're saying and reading is like, good. It's supposed to be hard. Like, you know, like it is, it, it's not supposed to be just like, let's sit in peace and just like all this little, all the butterflies and rainbows and everything's great. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, transformation's hard. So that's hard. I mean, it's, it really is. It's like, it's like a sculptor, Yeah. you know, he's got this big piece of marble and he's chipping away the things that isn't what's supposed to be there. And that's, I think that's what time with God does. Uh, we allow him, we give him the chip and the, chi- and the the chisel and the hammer, or we give him the paintbrush and we allow him to work on us. And sometimes it, it hurts, yeah. you know, because he's cutting away or chipping away things that aren't him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a, illustration a lot of people have used but it's it's the truth um another piece of advice is if if you have the courage learn and set us to set aside time to do a personal retreat Hmm. i have done some short ones um i did a silent retreat once and uh you may may or may not know Clyde Hodson. Clyde has spoken at our church a few times. He has a prayer ministry. It's called prayermentor.org, I think is the name of his website. He's been on this show. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So he he is also very influential in helping you to understand how to be still with God. And um, he he did my first silent retreat with me. It was me and our music pastor at that time. And we the first hour or so we were getting he was explaining everything what we were doing and it was a 24-hour retreat we were there overnight we had meals together and all that kind of stuff (laughs) it was really kind of weird sitting there and we're sharing a meal together but we're not saying a word (laughs) you can't say pass the pepper or whatever can you hand me the bread please you know it was you know but um it was it was a good first experience i was glad i had him to kind of coach us through that um my personal goal is sometime or other to have to do maybe a, a 10 day uh not a silent retreat but a 10 day retreat where there's someone who can be kind of like a spiritual coach or guide that uh manning talks about this in some of his books where he would go and uh particular he had particular places that he would go and for an hour he would spend a time with his spiritual guide or director uh and then spend the rest of the day just in the word, uh, praying, silence, just being alone. I mean, you stop and think about it. What would it be like to be 24 hours absolutely alone? Only thing is whatever is out there in nature around you. And no car horns, no airplanes, no airplanes flying over, uh, no kids, uh, no honking of horns, no music. And boy, that's a hard one for a lot of us because mm. we all like to have our, you know, our smartphones and our headphones on. Um, but doing doing a, a retreat and taking it in small bites, uh, do, do just one day. Do a one day retreat where you go away. And I know that's and how, do, how does a mom and dad do that? Yeah. You got full time jobs. Well, you help each other do that. Mom, she does her thing with the kids for the day while dad goes and does that. Mm. And then the next weekend, dad does 
does the things with the kids and mom's able to go do that. And then you come back together as husband and wife and you begin to just kind of, you know, dialogue about what, what you thought, what you heard, what you wrote down. Um, so those are a couple of, couple of tips. Finding authors, and I've got a list here. Uh, Brennan Manning, Pete Scazzaro, uh, Jared C. Wilson. He wrote The Imperfect Disciple. When I saw the title, I went, oh, that's about <laughs> me. Uh, Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. Andrew Murray, he's from late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, he was a pastor and a preacher in South Africa. Uh, and he wrote a lot about, in fact, there's a book called Abide in Christ. And then another book called Absolute Surrender, which changed my view of Romans 7 and 8. Romans 7, a lot of, for years, I heard Romans 7 was about Paul before he became a believer. I don't believe that. I think it's about Paul when he be, after he became a believer and he's realizing, I can't do this because I still want to do the things I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And the things I want to do, I never get around to it kind of thing. But then he says, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then chapter eight, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on talking about living in the spirit. That's how it happens. So that's what, um, in fact, um, Murray's, uh, Andrew Murray's book, um, Absolute Surrender, that's what he talks about. And then I'm reading, there's a couple of chapters in um, Wilson's book, Imperfect Disciple. He says almost the exact same thing. <laughs> and this is almost a century later. I'm going, mm-hmm. okay, these guys are on the right track. So, um uh, let's see, Dallas Willard, uh, John Mark Comer, I mentioned him, Clyde Hodson, John Ortberg, uh, Lance Witt, he wrote a book called Replenish, and he's actually going to be at Southwestern Seminary here next month at a conference, and I'm planning to go and just hear him, uh, hear him speak. So Awesome. So Clyde Hodson was actually episode number 18 ah, on this show, so okay. early on, that was great. So listen, we always finish up by asking our, our guests what their favorite scriptures are. So whether it be a verse or a chapter or a book mm-hmm. or a storyline or something that just continuously touches your heart, what would that be for you? John 15, 5, which I quoted earlier, um, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me... Uh, and I abide in him will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. And when you read verses one through 10 of John 15, he uses the word remain or abide 10 times. Mm-hmm. I think he's making a point here. <laughs> you can't do this without me. Yeah. So you got to be with me. You got to be with me. And then uh, John 40, uh, not John, uh, Psalm 46, 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. I will be exalted uh, above the heavens and um, favorite passage I would probably add uh, Romans 8 mm. about living in the spirit which is still the challenge yeah so yeah awesome good David Jenkins if you have a few more hours I have about 40 more questions <laughs> um, <laughs> no no this is really great to have you on I appreciate it 
Well, I appreciate it because, uh, like I said, I've never done this before and uh, it's been a good experience. Yeah, Thank fantastic. You. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to know more about who Jesus is, you can go to shockwaveministries.com and click on the gospel message. There you will find scripture references about who Jesus is and the plan of salvation, as well as different resources and references provided by our guests to help you through your walk with Christ. You can also click on the Testament tab where you will find a link to all of our podcasts and see our most recent podcast episodes that have been launched. Also on the Testament tab, you can drop us a line. Let us know what you think, if you have any comments or ideas for us, or point us to someone you think would make a great guest on our show. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Testament podcast. We'll make sure you know when each of our episodes launch and even give you a heads up on what episode is coming up with our feature Friday posts. And if you see myself or Jess out and about, ask us for a business card. That's right. So we printed business cards with a QR code on them that leads your smartphone to our show. So thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Bye.